I think we probably all live that probably mm. more the bad than the good, to be honest with you, because I don't know that we always handle conflict well. And I think we only have to experience conflict poorly a couple of times before we shy right away from it. And so I, I would suggest that different people have different levels of comfort in wading into conflict. But I think when conflict is, is done well, it actually becomes the glue within organizations because teams travel at the speed of trust. Welcome to the Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst in the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast. We are excited to talk with you today about dealing with conflict in a missional parish. It's a great conversation. And thank you for all of you who sent in questions. This was a great idea from Lorraine and David. And I'm really excited to dive into it. If you're watching on YouTube, I'd encourage you to hit the thumbs up button and subscribe because that helps a lot to get the algorithms cooking, to get these conversations far and wide when it comes to parish renewal and really issues of leadership that help any organization grow and have impact. Lorraine is going to lead us as a host today, but we're going to beat this stuff around and hopefully argue and disagree and, and model conflict ourselves. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> I think we'll have a lot of fun having the conversation. So thanks, Lorraine, for doing this. Oh, thank you, Ron. And it's so good that um, so many of you have participated by sending in some great questions. We haven't got time to go through them all, of course, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be a really amazing conversation. So let's just get right on in there, I think. Let's do it. And so the first question um, that someone sent in, Ron, is what impact does conflict have on a team, good and bad? Mm. I, yeah, that's a good question. All these are good questions. So I, I, I hate when people say that every time they have a question. So I'm not going to say that. Stop me if I say that again. Uh, okay. So what impact can conflict have on a team, both good and bad? And, and uh, I think we probably all live that probably more the bad than the good, to be honest with you, because I don't know that we always handle conflict well. And I think we only have to experience conflict poorly a couple of times before we shy right away from it. And so I would suggest that different people have different levels of comfort in wading into conflict. But I think when conflict is, is done well, it actually becomes the glue within organizations because teams travel at the speed of trust. And um, so often when we start a team or a new project or hire a new person, we think, oh, we've hired the right person this time. That last time that person was terrible. They just got worse. So glad to get rid of them. This person's amazing. They're everything we <laughs> wanted. And then, you know, you're three months in. They're not who I thought they were. They lied on the red side. Like, it's funny what, what we can tell ourselves. But I guess at the end of the day, we're always going to find ourselves in a place of conflict. If teams travel and work together and are doing anything significant, and again, we're talking about missional parishes. If you're not missional, you might not run into any conflict. But if you're going to make a difference, and when I say missional, I, I mean, are you intentionally trying to have an impact that glorifies God? And if that's true, you're going to run into conflict, even within your team. And so the key isn't not to have conflict. The key is to have conflict well. And when we have conflict well, all of a sudden, 
uh, we grow, we, we start to grow in trust. Our, our relationship has resilience. Like if you and I duke it out and have difference of opinions and you and I've worked together for years. And what I love about working with you, Lorraine, is you don't mind telling me when you have a different opinion and perspective and, and we'll, we'll disagree respectfully, but I trust your wisdom. And I also trust that we're on the same page and going in the same direction. And so when there's pushback and we're kicking around ideas, it's coming from a place of trust and alignment of vision. But conflict is when trust is being eroded. It feels scary because there's something at stake. You're not hearing me or I don't feel heard by you. And I can tell you're angry with me because your face has changed, your voice has changed, you're backing away, your body language has changed. That's conflict. The difference between sharing ideas and having conflict. And conflict is scary. But if we can get through it, all of a sudden I realize, no, it's okay. Because when, when Lorraine and I have an out, like when we have a falling out, we've done that before. And you know what? She listened to me. And I was able to listen to her. And we exchanged ideas through the heat intensity of it. And we were okay on the other side. And so if we were okay last time, maybe we'll be okay this time. And so when that happens a few times, actually conflict dealt with well and quickly can be glue on teams. And, and that grows trust. And when we grow trust, we can function in ways that, uh, that have the biggest impact and we have the most fun. At the same time, when it's held, dealt with poorly, uh, things get un they are left unresolved. You know, there's, I don't know, oh, David's, please bring up this slide. <laughs> there's a slide <laughs> that goes through form. Anytime there's a, a new team or a new assignment, teams go through this psychological stage of forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. And so that storming is, is there not because you have numbskulls on your team, but because we're human and it's normal. And so the key of storming well is to form intentionally. But when we take when we make a lot of assumptions that everything's going to be fine forever, we don't form intentionally, we find ourselves storming and we don't storm well, what ends up happening is we avoid the conflict or we don't fully deal with it. And when that happens, people will disengage. They'll protect themselves because they're not dumb. We have to protect ourselves when we're in situations and relationships that the other person isn't trustworthy. And when that happens, we might be going to work because we appreciate our paycheck and we have bills to pay and responsibilities. But all of a sudden, the passion for what we're doing starts to get drained. So unresolved conflict really is the devil's playground. And if we're in a leadership role, I would suggest that one of the most important things you can do is skill up in having crucial and difficult conversations so that you can, you can and help your team learn to do conflict well, because right. it really is a skill set that we must have if we're in a position of leadership and leadership is influence. And when we avoid conflict, conflict avoided is conflict multiplied. I don't know who said that. I guarantee it wasn't me. It's too clever, but I, I, that's my experience too. How about you? Have you, um, I know, I know we've all seen this, but what, what, what would you add to that, Lorraine? Um, I guess for me, I, I think that the times when I've been in teams that have handled conflict badly, most of the time it's been something that has just stayed underneath 
And so the fear of conflict or something stops people from saying things or respect for father or something. And I've just found, and we all have to be nice and so we have to pretend. And that's like a bit of a cancer eating away at the relationships of the team. So conflict um, can be a really amazing yeah. thing if we deal with it. Otherwise, it can be something yeah. that erodes and absolutely kills a team. Is, has been my experience. So good when we deal with it, good when we work through it, uh, absolutely bad when we hide from it and refuse to engage with it or engage in it in a way that's disrespectful and doesn't listen to other people's opinions and erodes trust. And if we don't trust each other in the first place, conflict just isn't going to be done well, as you were saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it becomes impossible. And you know, even as you're saying that, Lorraine, I think things erode from two perspectives. One, relationships and trust, as you mentioned, but also mm -hmm. effectiveness for the sake of mission, whether you're a business and trying to have an impact with whatever service you're bringing to the world or, or a church. And so both of them suffer. Yeah, it's so it, dealing with that well is such an important skill set. And there was a book that we read early on called Crucial Conversations. It was an amazing book. So shout out to those authors. And I know when we went to the Global Leadership Summit virtually, uh, it was Father Simon Lobo who said, what are we going to do with all that information? And we're like, well, we've been to three. We don't do anything with that information. We just get <laughs> formed by it. But he's so good at being practical and pragmatic in terms of implementing things. And so he said, well, I suggest we, because we're all impressed with the talk on the, on the book, I suggest we read that book together and kind of do it as a book study. And I, it was the best idea because we all grew so much and, and self-understanding of how we deal with conflict because a lot of times... We don't even know what's going on inside of ourselves and our natural responses to conflict. Uh, I often do conflict styles with uh, leadership teams so that they can understand how they approach conflict naturally when they're not at their best and what it can look like when they are at their best. And it's really helpful because a lot of times we, we drag our, our family experience into our life and we're do it unconsciously. And so when we have these tools in this language, we can kind of laugh at ourselves and also recognize patterns instead of inflicting these negative patterns on people, we can recognize and own our own patterns and then hopefully be a little wiser on how we approach relationships and deal with conflict. So there are like many things in life, we, we think that people are just naturally good or naturally bad at it, but I don't know if that's always true. I think there are a lot of skills, particularly as it relates to leadership and conflict, that we can grow in together. And so if you're listening and, and that resonates with you, go get that book and challenge a few other people to read it with you and, and, and grow in your skills. Sounds good. So we've got another question here that's a little bit of a series of questions about how, to, how do you initiate discussion on conflict issues? And so the first question is when conflicts arise, so if you sense that there's something um, that needs to be talked about, is it always wise to communicate them to the next person um, above you in, in, in your organisation and let them handle it? Or when is it better to talk directly to a, a higher up leader? So, so how do you start that conversation and who with? That's a, 
I, I don't know about you, Lorraine, but I feel like that's a loaded question. I think there's a lot of questions within <laughs> that question, perhaps. And so, so a couple of things I would just say. One, that assumes there's structure, and I, so I think that's good. Um, just because we have structure, we have to, we have to have a structure that we trust, and, and it's the people in the structure that's important. And so, if you have a conflict, should you go to the person that supports that ministry? And I think the answer is go to the person you have the problem with first. <laughs> And if that doesn't work out and you can't solve it, then yeah, then bring in the bring in the person who's responsible for the ministry. Because remember, what's what are we trying to do? We always have to stay focused, whatever your ministry is. Let's say it's youth ministry. Let's say this person is in youth ministry. And maybe they're really upset with the way one of their co-leaders leads a group. And it's like, okay, well, have that conversation with the co-leader and have it in the context of what we're trying to accomplish as a small group or if it's music ministry or whatever it is, but focus on your shared objective and make sure you agree on the shared objective. Because <laughs> if I say, you know, we really want these kids to have an amazing experience and grow closer to Christ. And you're saying, uh, well, no, we just want to provide a place for them to have pizza and ice cream and develop some new friends. It's like, okay, we better figure that out. And so when there's conflict, we always have to, I feel, peel it back to our common denominator. And hopefully that's vision. Uh, an impact that we want to have. And so if we can agree on that, then we can say, is, well, there are some behaviors that I'm seeing that I think are eroding what we say we're trying to accomplish together. And so go to the person, do it through the lens of vision so that you can start the conversation from a place of that you agree upon. If you don't agree on the vision, then have that conversation because <laughs> you have to build up. Uh, so that's what I would say. If that doesn't work out with the person that you're doing ministry with, then yeah, go to the person that's responsible for supporting the ministry. And I imagine there's so many churches going, we don't have a structure. What are you even talking about? So that's another conversation. <laughs> but if you're a missional church, you're going to have to have structure because a priest can't do it on his own. Uh, and that includes a lot of volunteers. It doesn't have to be staff. It can be volunteers. But by all means, go to the person who's responsible for the ministry. Like, in that ministry itself, do you have training days? Do you have, as a ministry, do you talk about what kind of culture you want to have? In that ministry, do you talk about how you're going to go about doing ministry and how you're going to resolve conflict? Like all of these things are a part of healthy ministries. And so sometimes we get just so busy executing the task or doing the ministry itself, we don't talk about culture. We don't talk about vision. We don't talk about resolving conflict. And then we wind up in conflict and we don't know how to deal with it. And so it's, that's normal. But if, if you're in that situation, you might want to say to the person who supports the ministry, it's like, I think we might need to hit the pause button, go back and do some more intentional forming, as I mentioned earlier, and, and then and air out some of the prickly issues that are surfacing within our ministry that are starting to deteriorate relationships. And so sometimes you do have to hit the pause button and you have to go back to those principles because if all you are doing is executing ministry and just assuming everything's fine, eventually good people are going to leave and your ministry is going to be in a pickle. Mm. At mm. what point, and the other thing I hear in that question is at what point do you go, you know, up the food chain, so to speak? Um, you know, maybe the person that's supporting your ministry doesn't see it and is part of the problem. And, and that's tricky because as soon as I go around that person, trust is definitely going to, that's going to hurt. And it's going to hurt a lot. And so if I had to, let's say it was you and me, Lorraine, and uh, 
let's say Christian was the person who supported us. And <laughs> uh, I think I'd have the conversation with you. And and if we weren't able to work it out, it's like, Lorraine, I, I'm frustrated. You're frustrated. <laughs> probably both want to kill each other but we didn't want to we didn't feel that way a month ago and so clearly we're not able to resolve this maybe we should go talk to christian together and get some help because if we don't deal with this it's going to impact both of us and it's going to impact the mess the the ministry and so what do you think of that and if you like no ron up yours uh you're a jerk and i don't then yeah i'm going right around you because now i realize okay this we either have to fix this or I have to leave because I'm not going to put up with your attitude and, and this horrifying work environment. And so sometimes we have to go up the food chain, so to speak. But if that is necessary, I'd want to go with that person. If they refuse, that tells me a lot about them. Uh, and I'll have to go around them because they're probably not healthy enough to be in this position that they're in. Perhaps so, I don't know. So it's, try it's a go, loaded question. <laughs> yeah. So try and go with rather than around. So the next question in this how to initiate discussion on conflicts issues kind of <laughs> area is what's the best mode of communicating conflicts, written or verbal? Okay, that's an easy one. It's always verbal. Don't chicken out by writing a text or an email, or don't don't ever bring correction or deal with problems in emails or text ever, ever. Just don't do it. And we, I think we often do it maybe to, we say it's to save time, but it's really because we're chicken. So don't chicken out, have the conversation. Um, yeah, don't, please don't do it. There's so much misunderstanding that comes through written communication. No matter how good you think you are a writer, do not do it. Always, always pick up the phone or go to that person's office, yeah. One of the things that I find helpful, Ron, is that I get a little bit scared about conflict. And so sometimes I find it really helpful to write down some points and think about it through that way to myself, to kind of write it down. And sometimes I'll even role play in the, in the mirror or with somebody in my household so that when I go to the person with the conversation verbally in person, usually, mm -hmm. or on the phone, I've already got a bit of an idea of how I'm going to put in the best way what I want to say, because sometimes I worry about that. Is is What do you think about that? I think it's brilliant. I think I do it all the time in coaching, all the time. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, I absolutely do. And two reasons. One, I think doing it in the mirror is helpful. I think doing it with somebody else is way better because they're going to give you a different perspective. Because we often come at things with our best intent and all our skills and experience. And, and when we lay it out there, we think it's rational. We think it's reasonable. We think it's going to be received well. But that's we only have one way of seeing it. But when we share it with another person, hopefully somebody who's wise and we trust, if, if we're off base, they'll be able to see it way better than we can. We will not be able to see ourselves. We will think what we're doing makes sense and is logical and reasonable when the very words we use might inflame the whole situation. And so I think that's a great idea. Write some points. 
um, think it through, pray about it. <laughs> Always pray into conflict because sometimes in prayer I realize the fault lies more with me than I thought it did. In the beginning, I always want to blame the other person and vilify them. But when I take it to prayer, God often very gently, very kindly says, no, you're the butthead, Ron. You need to own this. You need to apologize. And and sometimes God himself de-escalates the issue and I can own my stuff and start with an apology. But you know, but sometimes it's bigger than that, and it really isn't. It's something you do need help with. But yeah, write it down, pray into it, and then role play it with some friends, a friend or two, that where confidentiality is really important. It's the last thing you want them doing is going and telling somebody else. And wisdom, um, yeah, hmm. and in that, yeah, make sure you listen and, and and own your own hurt too, because sometimes, you know, when we're in a conflict, sometimes. More often than not, actually, there's a lot of hurt, and it might be disguised as anger, but sometimes behind that anger is hurt, and so sometimes it's hard to admit that you're hurt, but mm. you know, you might have to process some of your pain. That's where prayer can be so helpful because it can emotionally detach yourself from the situation because that's what we want to do when we enter into dealing with the conflict is not be emotionally mm. charged and come at people from a place of self-righteousness and Mm. I'm so good at that. I'm an expert at that. And I'm never proud of myself when I act out of that place. And so I think your your tips are really wise. Mm. Mm. And then the next question is, when is the best time to communicate conflict, immediately or after some time? I think I think you have to use your discernment on that. I would suggest that it's all off its it's better to deal with it sooner rather than later because, again, um, conflict avoided is conflict multiplied. And we want to deal with things before they we deal with issues before they become problems. And, and sometimes we just hope they'll go away. It's not a great strategy. But if we're in a meeting and, you know, you do something or say something and I want to come back at you and, and that might embarrass you, then I, that might not be the best time. And so sometimes you need to discern it, but sometimes standing for up for yourself in a meeting is really important because is this a meeting that you're only going to be at, you know, once in the year or once in a quarter? And so no, stand up for yourself. Don't let bullies roll over you because uh, that creates a culture where bullies prevail. So don't let that happen. Um, so you have to discern a little bit, but you always want to deal with it sooner than later. And if it's a, one of those meetings that, that, uh, you're thinking this probably isn't the time right now, but it needs to be dealt with. You know, maybe at break, I'm going to pull you aside and say, Lorraine, I just need to, I want to talk to you about something that happened in there that really frustrated me um, because I don't want it to linger because I care about you and I care about our mission, but I also don't want it to go unspoken. And so can I share with you, you know, and I, you know, maybe that's a place to deal with it. So, but deal with it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we'll move into our next question. How do you approach someone who has influence and power on the team but mm-hmm. who is so conflict avoidant that problems don't get addressed in a timely or effective manner? I think we've all had someone like that on our team. <laughs> yeah, and I coach a lot of priests and bishops like that, to be honest with you. And again, I think it's because conflict didn't go so well and eventually it's like, yeah, I just want to avoid it because, you know, they've had some trauma in their life as a result of poor poor uh, outcomes from from conflict and so I, I do totally get it now at the same time this is where 
I find strength finders and, and APEST vocational assessment tools that I use when coaching churches so helpful, um, but also the conflict styles. Because when we understand how we're hardwired and the gifts and strengths we have, the charisms we have, it starts to make sense out of the way we view and tackle conflict. And so self-awareness is such an important part of leading. Now, I know some people hate those tools, but I'll tell you, the more you know yourself, the better leader you're going to be because then you can communicate your style to people and then people can say, Ron, you're doing that thing again. And then I can own it. But then we have a language for it. We have a common understanding. But when we don't, we have to judge each other. And so these tools are so helpful to take ownership of how you're wired because that often those patterns show up in your life over and over again. And we need to take responsibility for those as leaders. And often too, like for me, my one of my conflict styles when I'm not at my best is I get um, competitive. Uh, and so I want to win. And so I'll one-up you with, with intensity or with volume or with the amount of thing, examples I'll bring to the table and I'll overpower people. That's an awful way to deal with things. But again, when we're not at our best, all of those options are awful. Uh, but one of the awful ways is avoidance. It's just as awful. It's torturous for the person who knows we have a problem and we're not dealing with it. They're dying and languishing inside and we're just avoiding eye contact and not returning their phone calls. That's just as awful as being competitive. But if you don't know you do that and you don't know why you do that, then it really makes it hard to resolve conflicts with in important relationships. And so all that to say that if you find yourself being led on a team or by a church or in a business where the, the leader avoids conflict, you're going to have to make the <laughs> they're avoiding conflict, a topic, an issue. And you say, here's what I'm saying. There can be lots of good reasons for avoiding conflict, but I notice a pattern that, and, and it's okay, but I wonder if we can start maybe doing some, and get some coaching, get some help. It doesn't have to be us, but get some help and get some coaching in these areas so that you can take ownership of it. Because not having conflict isn't the goal. Dealing with conflict well is the goal. And you might have to just let that leader know that, I see this pattern in you. It's okay, but I'm wondering if we can address it and, and, and develop a language around it so that we can do a better job of dealing with things sooner so that people don't disengage. Because nothing worse than losing great people because conflict's been allowed to brew and go unresolved. I mean, this just that just stinks because it's hard enough to do mission. It's really hard to do mission without the right people. And mm -hmm. so... We really are going to have to figure out conflict. We cannot run from it and still stay in leadership. And if you have somebody in a leadership role who's avoiding conflict and they refuse to deal with it, get them out of leadership. Like it's not mm -hmm. the place for them. You have It's a skill set we need to grow in if we're in leadership. But if they're your but, boss, it's a bit hard, isn't it? If they're the it's person really hard. Yeah, if it's your parish priest or something, you're not getting them out of leadership. No. Yeah. But that's where I would say I would. If, so if it was Father Lorraine, I would say, Father Lorraine, uh, you know, here's one of the things that you're, and, and it's often people that are high in relationship gifts hmm. that avoid conflict because they value relationships so much that anything that jeopardizes relationships scares the daylights out of them from a place of love and care. And so their motives are good. Their way of doing it isn't helpful they often feel stuck. And so it often comes from a good place. And so, you know, I might say something like, you know, Father Lorraine, I, 
I could tell how much you care for people and love people. And I think that's so cool. I also recognize that maybe it's because of that, that when conflict comes up, you, you tend to avoid it and hope it goes away by itself. Is that fair? <laughs> and, and if so, I'm wondering if there are some tools that we can enter into some conversations with our team so that we can all grow in this, because I think I can help you with that because I'm not as strong in relationship skills as you are. And, and, uh, but I've also had different experiences resolving conflict. But I think if we do this stuff together, and this is where leading out of a team is so important, because if you're just left to your own skills and gifts, it's always deficient, no matter how smart you are and how holy you are. You're not holy enough and smart enough to lead the impact God wants you to have in your church. And so have the humility to lead out of a team and then lean into the strengths and gifts of other people so that you can work together to make the best decisions. And that includes relationally and dealing with conflict. Mm-hmm. Our next question is a fairly long one, so you're going to need to listen carefully. Okay. Is is keeping the peace or finding a happy medium the best strategy to manage a parish that encompasses groups with diverse views on which direction the parish should be moving in and what kind of strategies might be available then? Right. And so it's like keeping the peace often to me sounds more like uh, is is our mission really worth the conflict that I'm probably going to have to navigate? How much energy do I have? We're probably doing good enough. We're doing better than the people next door. I know there's a lot more we could do, but I just don't have the energy. So I'm inclined to keep the peace. Um, I think conflict is often the road through which we have to travel to get to the next level of impact. And again, everything, every question we ask has to be, or I'd encourage you to, to process it through the lens of what God is calling you to do, the impact you believe God is calling you to have. Let me just tell you a little story. Like, if those of you watching on YouTube, you're thinking, geez, Ron usually doesn't dress like that. And where is he anyway? I'm at a friend's house because uh, Nova Scotia is currently on fire in some regions and we've been evacuated. And it's scary to just get called and like seeing flames everywhere and smoke everywhere and running from your home and seeing whole neighborhoods like getting out of this crazy. And I just watched on the news the other day, a little clip on, you know, However, I was catching it. it wasn't a TV because we don't have a TV in the trailer. We're staying in our trailer in a campground. Um, but it was this lady who was with a bunch of animals. And she said she has an animal daycare. So people go to work, they leave their animals there. And when she was evacuating, she took as many animals as she could out in the first run. And then she went back to get the others and they wouldn't let her in, which is fair. Like the, the first responders have their regulations and rules. But she was mortified. Well, why was she mortified? Like, did you see her talking about the situation. She was mortified because she has a call to care for animals. It's It was written all over her face. What did she do? She parked her car on the side of the road. I don't recommend this. And she bushwhacked through the trees in shorts. This young lady got scraped and bleeding everywhere to rescue all 18 of those animals and bring them back. Like, good luck stopping her 
from doing the very thing she feels called to do, and that's care for animals. And I saw her living her call as I was watching that interview, and she had to pause a couple times because she was going to cry because she cared so deeply. If you're a leader, how deeply do you care? Because the more you care, the less you won't do to have the impact that God's calling you to have with your life. And so if it's just a job, then yeah, keep the peace. But if it's a calling, how can you just keep the peace? We have to find a way to help divergent groups within a parish, and I see it all the time, differentiate between their preferences and the mission. Because I really believe we can, divergent groups can rally around mission. They rarely can rally around preferences. And so if our preferences take priority over the mission, good luck. But if, if you can slowly, and I know this isn't easy, but engage people in a better conversation, and the better conversation is always purpose. The better conversation is always impact. And if we can elevate people to that conversation, then we can, we're often willing to let go of our preferences. Like that lady's young lady, I'm sure she didn't want her legs all scratched and bleeding and, and bushwhacked through the, but she was willing to do whatever it took to get from here to there. And as leaders, are we willing to do that? And if so, it's going to mean conflict from time to time. But make sure that conflict with the divergent groups isn't around preferences. Preferences is always the wrong conversation. Impact, mission, purpose, that is the conversation that we can go, oh yeah, I was thinking too small. And we need to invite people. And people that refuse to do that, because they're going to be, you know, and Father James spoke divine renovation. The very first story is about the card, the card party. People didn't want to give up cards for the sake of evangelizing and making disciples in the church, and they didn't have any problem with telling him how he felt. And it's like that's okay, but you've just shared with me where your values lie, and we have a misalignment of values, and 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 sometimes that's going to be the case, and then, you know. Those aren't our values. That's not the call of Jesus and the church. And so we have to be careful where we place our line in the sand and make sure we're on the right side of that line and, and let's align with what Jesus called us to do. And, and that's to care and love up for others, not mm -hmm. to create a club where, where our homies can feel like, I don't know, they're a part of a club. Like it's, it's more than that. And so I don't know. What do you th think, Lorraine? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, a happy medium is sometimes a very low medium, isn't it? And and we, if we're just trying to keep everybody happy, we tend to stay how we mm. are because change is really, really uncomfortable, isn't mm. it? And those divergent views are, are just so hard to manage. So, so you know, the, the, some of the strategy you're saying might be around talking vision a bit more because it's a culture change isn't it so we perhaps if we've got a lot of diverse views and people aren't able to come together around preferences we need to start re-talking or re-talk again into vision because we say that vision leaks so we might think that we've done the vision talk but have we done it again and again and again and in a way that people can hear 
and mm. and there's a bit about being respectful for people there too because I think sometimes when there's a lot of diverse views, people don't feel heard. Mm. So sometimes it's, you know, where are those views that are diverse coming from? Is it coming from a place of hurt or not feeling important, mm-hmm. you know, Sometimes it's what's your value? You talked about values. What's your value? And if your values are around getting, you know, making this parish a place where your grandchildren might be coming and your children, well, then what do we need to do to do that? So it's hooking into where what they value and, and what their hopes and dreams are too, isn't it? Mm. But I don't know that happy medium is good. I don't know that happy medium's happy. Yeah, I think yeah. everybody loses. We want to create win-win situations, not lose-lose situations. Yeah. And when we both have to give stuff away and neither one of us get what we want or what we believe needs to happen, then nobody wins. And and so, you know, collaboration is always better than compromise. And not we don't <laughs> collaboration takes time. And so, you know, it depends. And when we're talking vision too, it's one thing to talk vision generally, but. You know, the other piece is what, when you're negotiating or working through issues with divergent groups and parishes, you need to talk very specifically to those leaders of people there about vision. And, and it's always better to start from a place of what's your vision? I know what you I know what you want in terms of preferences. You want this mass time or you want us to do it in this language or you want this choir to sing like that's the what that's not the where like where are we trying to go what's your vision what's your hope and let's align our hope and vision but let's start by listening in those settings like yes we have to speak it as priests into the you know from the pulpit on sundays when we're preaching but when you're dealing with conflict you need to figure out you know first seek to be heard or, or, or to, to understand before being understood. That's a two-way street. Like really seek to understand. The only way you're going to be able to do that is ask good questions and listen. But it doesn't stop there. Though. It's like, don't get rolled over. Now, it's like now that I've heard you and I've summarized what I've heard and is it accurate? Now, is it okay if I share with you what I'm thinking? And the answer to that has to be yes or, or we're not going to be able to collaborate. And so if it's yes, then we enter into that so that we understand. But it, all, it, it has to be a place of vision. And, and sometimes preferences come from a place of vision, but people don't know it. And so what do I mean by that? I mean, sometimes when people are sharing their preferences, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes there's something very noble in their perspective. And so it's easy for me to get frustrated because I don't feel heard or, or frustrated because I don't agree with what they're saying. But if I can just push down or, or just acknowledge inside that I'm feeling frustrated, but can I be curious? Can I replace frustration with curiosity and then seek the what's noble in what they're saying. Oh, it, are you saying this because of this? Or help me understand why this is so important to you because I can hear you keep saying this, but why is that so important to you? Because it probably comes from a place of love and nobility, even though I'm finding it irritating because we're not agreeing. But if I can see their heart, it often can change how I listen and also how I present my perspectives. And so it's complicated. Like That's why that book, Crucial Conversations, is so important. But you know, vision and mission is so important. Purpose is so important. And and I love what you added to that, Lorraine. Listening is so important. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I can be, you know, I, I yeah, I work best in teams because people need to remind me that sometimes, sometimes I can be so outcome oriented and, and so driven for results that I push through things in ways that make people feel small 
And I'm never proud of myself in those moments, in those times. And I need people around me to help me realize, Ron, you just went competitive again. And we lost them in relationally. It's like, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. I don't like that I'm that guy from time to time. But if I'm honest with myself, that's how I can be in conflict sometimes. And I, I think that's partially why mm. self-awareness is so helpful. But hopefully that helps. Great, great question. <laughs> good question, mm. isn't it? Next question. As a good team member, we often feel that we need to abide by all the decisions from our <laughs> leaders. How and when do you decide whether to keep quiet or air your oppositional views? Yeah. I guess it depends on how important it is, isn't it? Like, you know, if it's that, that important, then... Yeah. <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a lace on the edge of the altar cloth, is that worth... <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I mean, my grandmother likes doilies. I don't. But if the church does, I can live with that. Uh, and so you're right. Yeah, it depends on how important it is. You know, I remember being at a leadership conference in the UK one time, and I think it was Nikki Gumbel that was talking about um, people have to dissent three times. Like, so... If you have an opposing view and you feel strongly about it and you feel like it's needed, but then I expect you to disagree with me. Like, I need you to disagree with me. Like, I depend on you to disagree with me. And so, and, and they have a rule that you have to do it three times. And after the end of that three times, if we're still not on the same page, you have to either, you have to be willing to let it go. And I've done that all kinds of times at leadership team meetings. This it's very vibrant debates, but some realize I'm just not going to win this one. They're not seeing it the way I'm seeing it, even though I'm passionate about it, even though these are my values and I thought we shared these in common. It's like, no. And so then I have to decide, like, either this is going to wreck a friendship or I have to eat this one and just trust their discernment. And to be honest with you, a lot of times, especially in a team environment, when I eat it and trust their discernment, nine times out of 10, or maybe 10 times out of 10, they're right. <laughs> and, and I come to that realization later. Um, and that's where group wisdom is so helpful in leading. Um, but then there are also times, and this has happened to me in my lifetime at times, that, I, that what, what I was feeling was, it was a value. And I wasn't willing to let go of that value. And I felt there was a shift in values in the organization. And so now I have a decision to make. Am I going with those values, which is okay, because there's nothing wrong with those values, perhaps, or maybe there is, depends on how you're looking at it. But sometimes I'm God's convicting my heart. And the very people that you go on this journey with all of a sudden aren't the people you're going to go on the journey with further. And you have to decide either you're going to be a part of the problem because you're going to nag the daylights out of everybody. And then they're they're not going to appreciate you as much. And that's happened to me before. And then just realizing that, oh my gosh, this is my problem, not theirs. And, um, and sometimes you do have to step away because there's a misalignment of values and, and that's not abnormal and it's okay. It doesn't feel okay. <laughs> it's hurtful and it's hard. And, 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 and the times that that's been a part of my life, um, that's been a very trying time. I've been very blessed to have people around me that, I can talk to and discern with and and moan with and bellyache with and feel sorry for myself with, but also to pick up and, and, and recover and and pray. And um, but sometimes there's a natural time to to just to, to depart. Which can be really hard if you're in a parish because you don't necessarily want to depart from a parish, do you? And if you 
I've seen it. I've had uh, to do it. Have you had to? I've had to do it, and I've had friends have to do it. And I knew how how awful it made me feel, and I watched how awful it made them feel. But if there's a Mm. misalignment, but you don't do that perhaps without trying, isn't it? So try to keep the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And and how and where's that? kind of happy not happy I'm using that word happy medium but I don't mean that there's a balance isn't there between being a squeaky wheel and being a bit of a pain Mm -hmm. in the butt yeah and so how and I think this question is around that you know how do we decide and I think the talk what you were saying there around value seems to be at the core of that decision isn't it where's the values Mm. there is this something I can let go is it important enough Pick your fights, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pick them. And, and again, it's always helpful to make sure that we're on the same page with vision because you said it earlier, vision leaks. It really does. I remember working with a pastor one time and, and, uh, and, and working with a coach, being coached, and the coach said to me, Ron, you're off the charts visionary. I'm thinking, no, I'm not because the person I worked with is way more visionary than me. He said, no, I coach him too, and he is visionary, but both of you are really high. And I remember saying this to the pastor I was working with. He said I was a visionary. And the pastor looked at me and said, yeah, uh, you're the one who's always reminded me what the vision is. You won't let me forget it. And I didn't even know I was doing it. Um, and, and so, so again, getting some coaching, getting some insight, getting some tools, getting some help to understand this stuff is helpful, but to always deal with the conflicts in the, through the lens of vision and purpose. Because sometimes the conflict that you run into is because one or the other, whether it's the pastor or the bishop or, or you as the team member, you thought you knew what the vision was, but the further you go down the road of that vision, the more you see gaps. And I see it all the time in coaching. I see it all the time. So we're constantly addressing vision in the context of conflict because what people thought they were heading down to do and the language that we were using, there are different understandings of that. And the further you go, you'll see people not willing to go any further. And, and that's normal. And sometimes they kind of get off the bus at that point and somebody else comes on. But uh, we've been talking about this so long, I even forget the question. so why don't we move on to the next one then (laughs) so the next question is how do you deal with people who speak negatively towards other people in the ministry Mm. yeah that's a a clear case in my mind and this is one of the things i loved when i went to um brisbane and did that talk with the bishops conference about culture and health versus toxicity, because we have to decide what kind of a culture do we want to have in this ministry? What 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 does health look like and what behaviors support health, what attitudes support healthy teams and list it with your team. And then also, uh, once you've exhausted that list, come up with the other list of what are some attitudes and behaviors that undermine health and, and, and make a robust list of that and then agree that, you know, because Culture is created by what we reward and what we tolerate. So you need to define health and you need to define toxicity or what undermines health. And if we do that as a team, those are our words. Those are our concepts. Those are our ideas. And we can just agree that this is what we're going to work hard towards. But all of us can be toxic and undermine health from time to time. But let's not tolerate it from one another. And I'm sure chronically chronic complaining and backbiting and gossiping and stuff falls in the negative category. And if you have somebody on your team that's like that, if you're like that, own your stinking behavior and stop it. Apologize for it and ask for help. 
If that's one of your areas of sin and weakness, it's okay. It's not fun, but sin isn't fun. But ask other people to help you and to stop you from going down that rabbit hole. Like take ownership of the way you impact others. Um, and if you're the person that you're listening to that person, like if you have a vision for the culture you want to have on your team and that's not it, then you need to call that person out and or, you know, go to the leader and ask them, if this is what I've noticed. I've talked to them about it. They're still doing it. I find it's really hard on the team. Um, have you had that? Have you noticed? Have you had the conversation? And if it's the person who's actually leading, then have the conversation with them. This is what you're doing. This is what I'm seeing. I know you're frustrated, but your frustration um, lived out like this is having a negative impact on all of us. And as a leader, you need to be big enough to own that. How can I help you? Because it has to stop. Mm. But again, this is where a vision for the culture of a ministry is so important and nobody can violate it. I know when when I was at St. Benedict Parish and we did that, we had that conversation because our <laughs> our culture was so toxic. It was horrible at about year four. Like I'm, and I'm not exaggerating, it was terrible. But then after that conversation, I said, we need to be able to call each other out. And that includes me. So I give you permission. I need your help because I don't want to be that guy. And I got called out more than everybody. And I'm, I wish I was joking. And I had a decision to make. Am I going to get defensive? Am I going to justify myself? Or am I going to listen? Oh, you know, receive what I'm hearing, apologize, and ask for forgiveness. Because if I can listen, own what I'm hearing, apologize, and ask for forgiveness, then we're going to grow in trust. And I'm going to become a better leader. <laughs> Or do I just want people to leave me alone and tolerate me while I inflict myself on others? And a lot of leaders do that, but we have to stop. And so, I don't know. I, I don't know if those things help. What, what, what do you think? I think the negativity, once we start that, it does, as you say, become a bit of a downward spiral and catching it in ourselves is really important. I think... It's, it's back to the vision thing again, isn't it? Who do we want to be? Where do we want to go? You know, how did Jesus treat other people? You know, trying to respect other people to, to value views. And when we understand, when you were talking about strengths before, when we understand people's uh, strengths, sometimes the negativity that we can feel towards people can be because we don't understand where they're coming from. And sometimes understanding where they're coming from, uh, if, if we're the person that's feeling negative or saying negative things, you know, getting to know that person a little bit better and falling in love with them a little bit more, you know, and loving what it is that's strong about them. And then being willing to call people out, I, I just think is really important because backbiting and fighting amongst, you know, kind of saying unkind things around each other inside our ministry is not an attractive way to be church. People aren't attracted to communities like that. And and I think we all do it. I know I do it myself and, and we really need to, as you say, call ourselves out in that mm. it's um it's like a cancer isn't it that eats away at relationships and it's and, always easier to see it in and, others than it is in ourselves right the logger of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brothers and i know we're all guilty of it and it's just such a human experience 
But I'd also say with that, like, yes, that strengths in terms of knowing other people, but also our values often come from our strengths and charisms. But if we don't know who we are and why we're so passionate, oftentimes we're passionate about things we don't even know why. And so our own lack of self-awareness can be part of the problem. Um, and, and to your point, when we do know those charisms and strengths, we can have better conversations because now we have a language with which to clothe them in. And that's part of the problem. We often don't have a language. So in the absence of a language and with the absence of understanding, we judge and we criticize. And, you know, I have positivity as my second strength theme. And one of the things that people with positivity hate, their number one pet peeve is negativity. And I can be negative. You know, if I don't feel hurt, if I feel hurt, if, if, my, if what I believe is our vision is feeling threatened, I can get very defensive. I can get, I can behave in ways that I'm not proud of. And, and when that becomes chronic or more consistent, then I don't even like myself. And I can guarantee you the people around me aren't enjoying it. And so, you know, and I, I don't know if we all, you know, I think a lot of people have been there before. And so that can be two things. One, in some instances, it means I have to have the courage to have better conversations. And maybe if I keep going at it and not getting the results, maybe I need to get some new skills to come at it differently. And maybe I need to talk to some people, get some advice. And, and or sometimes it's discerning, is it time for me to step away? Is this, this actually isn't a good fit anymore. And as hard as that decision can be from time to time, if that's the truth and if that's what God's revealing to you as you pray with it and get some discernment with some spiritual advisors, some friends, when you make that decision, it frees you up to do the very thing that God has for you next. And so sometimes I think we hold on too long to things that aren't working and, and, and it is time to go. And, you know, because some of the things that ail us, we can't control. And if it eats us up mm. and makes us behave poorly around others, maybe it's time to discern prayerfully mm. if that's still the place for you. And so it's tricky. There's no right answer to that. And it's not an easy, it's not an easy decision. True. And that kind of blends into the next question, actually, which is our last question. Our, this person writes, our parish is full of jealousy between volunteers and there is a culture of jealousy in the parish, especially amongst the people who are serving together. So you can imagine all that negativity floating around. Many people have been in their ministries for a long time yeah. and as we're moving forward in mission, we're starting to invite new people in and that's leading to a lot of issues. Mm. And so this person says, I'm trying to change this jealousy with formation, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure what they mean by that. Is there any other way that you can recommend to help us to avoid this very unchristian behavior? I think that's very Christian behavior because I see it in every church. I've never not seen it. So I... And you can even see it in, in the apostles, couldn't you, when they're saying to Jesus, you know, who's going to sit on the right and who's going to sit on the left? Like, it's a uh, very Christian yeah. behavior for a very long time. <laughs> what do we think Christians are? They're incredibly flawed human beings that have happened to love Jesus and are trying to surrender their lives and be better people. But I think Christians know full well they're sinners and they're flawed. And so, so I think it's actually very Christian behavior, not desirable behavior, but, but we see it in Christians all the time. Um, yeah, how do you stop that? It, it's hard. And, and I've again, I've led through ministries like that. And I've, I've supported ministries like that. I've supported people 
who support ministries like that. I remember specifically going into one <laughs> one meeting because the, the person supporting this ministry was uh, really having a hard time with those types of attitudes. And so he said he called them all together and asked if I would come and speak. And I did. And I, I was, I remember not sleeping particularly well that night before. I wasn't at my best. And so I can be fairly straightforward and blunt at the best of times, but Really? Did you notice that? <laughs> so take that with no sleep. Oof, that's not me at my best. And uh, what ended up happening was um, the pushback. And this, the, and it was, it was a very simple ministry that anyone could do, but the people have been in it forever and were saying, it'd be great if we can take some people that are coming through Alpha and coming to, into the church and give them places where they can serve because then they feel more engaged, more involved. And and some of you that have been in those ministries for a longer period of time, maybe you can be training and raising up these people. Well, if you're trying to move me along, I'm not going anywhere. I'll be doing this ministry till I'm dead and you can't make me stop. And it was like, wow, that's an awesome attitude. And I don't know that I was particular, my approach was great. But I guess what I'm saying is I understand it, I get it, but this is where our organizational structure matters so much. and. Some people we actually have to pull out of ministry if they have a, you know, because not every, another assumption is we assume that everybody's healthy. It's not true. Like, yes, there's our strengths. Yes, there's our charisms, but then there's also our mental and our emotional health. And some people are dealing with untreated mental illness or personality disorders and they go to church and that's great. God loves them. We love them. There needs to be space for them, but they might not be suited for ministry. And if their attitudes and behaviors are ones that are destructive in terms of the mission of that particular ministry, then we need to remove them. Uh, it's like, well, that sounds very unkind. We can be kind in ways that don't jeopardize the mission of the church or the mission of your ministry. And, and so sometimes we've had to remove people from ministry because of their attitude and their commitment to their, their terrible attitude and their terrible way of doing things. And it's not fun and it's not easy. But what I find is when you move, remove that one person, because it's usually only one person in a ministry, then it frees all those because those other people follow them because they're often narcissistic and and they they wield a lot of influence that's negative and people are afraid of them even in the church and boy I'll tell you when you have the courage as a leader to remove people like that it creates a lot of trust and people are free to breathe again and actually strive to for excellence and so yeah don't be bullied by people who are bullies and because a lot of times it's unresolved hurt pain love them support them but remove them from ministry because their influence isn't helpful and so and sometimes mm -hmm. we just want to treat a group and say things to a group when we know full well who the problem is and so you know sometimes people say well that's not very christian really leading poorly that the, like seems that seems to be christian too but i think it's not helpful we need to have difficult mm -hmm. conversations and we need to always keep the mission in mind. And if an ego is getting in the way of the mission, we don't appease that ego. We, we try to work with it mm -hmm. and so on. But if they refuse to move, then we have to remove them. That's not a fun thing mm -hmm. to do, but uh, we've certainly had to do it many times. When I say many times. And, and I yeah. think one of, the, well, the, one of the hard things in parish too is that there's in every parish, there's good and beautiful souls that have been doing 
the same ministries year in and year out for a very long time and often they're saying I wish that other people would come in and help but then when as this question saying when we get somebody that can come in and help they don't really want them to so there's an unhealthy hanging on to the thing that I've been doing for a really long time and it's not out of any um ill will it's it's ownership it's love for what they've been doing mm. and maybe a lack of trust for the new person and i i've heard you talk at st benedict's parish and when you were there and other places where i've been this idea of apprenticeship yeah. culture and so rather than bringing people in and replacing or bringing people in and just saying now you've got to share this thing maybe this idea of in this parish we're trying to grow the next generation Mm. of people can you think of who the next leader is going to be and apprentice them Mm. a little bit uh, and and give and give them the responsibility for handing over rather than foisting people on them maybe Mm. And, and and so get them on side with you to train and grow these new people like you've been doing this for so long you're so good at it here's Mary Um, we think that she would be really helpful for you see if you can teach Mary how to do what you do because what you do is so amazing you know that kind of the way that you approach Mm. bringing new people in can sometimes make it easier if they're amazing yeah if but if they're not amazing (laughs) no don't get that person to train the next generation that's the last thing you want you know it really is you know, uh, we have to train people up with people that are good with others. Like to, the people you want to doing the apprenticing, they have to be have the character, the disposition, the skills to actually raise up. And so, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, and it needs to be discerned because we really do need. Because again, if if you stick me with a chronically cranky Christian in a ministry to to mentor me and I'm thinking you think this person has leadership capacity I'm more inclined to back away so we need people of influence and passion and joy mentoring and apprenticing so yeah just be cautious (laughs) but I love I I love the concept (laughs) of mentoring but the other thing is and I don't think age has as much to do with it as openness I've seen Older mm. people with unbelievable attitudes that I'm thinking, I hope you never leave. And then I've seen older people with terrible attitudes and I can't wait for them to leave. But that goes with young people too. I've seen young people with terrible attitudes. Like, I, you, gosh, you, you're yuck. And I've seen young people with great attitudes. So I think it has more to do with attitude than age because I have just know so many people in their 70s and 80s in the church that Man, I just want to be like them when I grow up. Like, they're amazing. But it has more to do with their attitude, which often correlates to their openness to receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit and and falling in love and surrendering to Jesus. And so that has a lot more to do with the impact and influence those people have on their ministries, I would say, than their actual age. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Mm. I don't know. That's my thought. I. I love people with great attitudes and I've met them at all different ages <laughs> and I've seen people with bad attitudes and they have all different ages too. And so I believe it's character and attitude that shapes impact in ministry more so than age. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's all we have time okay. for today. It's it's been so much fun, hasn't it? Has, it has, and I, I hope this conversation, like I always say, I don't have all the answers, that's for sure. But I hope the conversation allows you, the listeners, to have these types of conversations with your staff and, and, and leaders because it's really important. And uh, please write to us and let us know if any of these things have helped and if so, how and which ways. And if any of them help you get breakthroughs, I'd really love to hear that. Wouldn't that be fun, Lorraine? We could really... Oh, it certainly would be, yeah. And and I think another thing is that we're hoping to have some more of these types of conversations, aren't they, aren't we, with questions? So if you would like to be notified um, of when these kinds of conversations are coming up or you have ideas, subscribe to our newsletter. That's a really good way of hearing what's happening and and knowing uh, when these are coming up next. It's a really good way. So tick subscribe and and. Uh, stay part of the conversation. Great idea. I always forget to say that. So that's so good. And I know we have a whole team of people helping to discern this stuff and putting all these pieces in place to continue to bring value. And so, yeah, join, join the community and uh, help us to uh, put together some great topics by adding your questions and comments. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, And Lorraine, great job today. That was fun to have that conversation with you. I look forward to doing this again. Thank you, Ron. It's been a lot of fun. God bless you, all of you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.